You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Salutations, my sensual scorpions of scientific searchers of super friends. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 262, and I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your blimpful of blithely blinkers, blitzing blueberry blintzes. <laughs> I'm Colin. And I'm Chris. Um, Actually, I have, and um, actually, because as somebody pointed out, <laughs> I said, for some reason, I said that the, um, that the year of the Simply Red album uh, picture book I said 1975. I have no idea why. Holding back the years, clearly a 1980s classic, classic of 1980s radio. Mm. Uh, came out in 1985. Um, I apologize to you, listeners. I apologize to Simply Red, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm holding back. I'm I'm holding back the the years. Clearly, clearly, I'm holding back the years in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, 85. <laughs> All right, without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here I have a couple random trivial pursuit cards. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna pick one. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. So let's jump in and answer some questions. Let's do TV. Oh, this yes. is a trivial pursuit TV card before you get excited. <laughs> <laughs> too late karen the, the the card is pretty weathered okay, so i don't think right. it's okay. current ish all right all right well all right, it was right. that one time accurate let's jump in blue wedge what relation to morticia adams is fester Ooh. okay what relation colin is is that niece do i have it right what relation to Morticia is Fester brother-in-law. You know, what does the, card say? the card says uncle. Okay, no! so had the relationship. He's Gomez's right? brother. He's Gomez. He's the kid's uncle, Uncle Fester. Well, maybe not. Morticia's the mom. Wait, that's yeah. in the movie. Now hold on. All right, to the internet. I was I I I flipped the question in my mind, but I was thinking uncle and niece. Right, that's what I was. You think Uncle Fester is. Morticia's uncle. I think he's that. He's above. He's above Gomez and Morticia's generation. That's what I in, think. In okay. the original, okay, I'm reading from Wikipedia. In the original 1960s sitcom, oh. Fester is said to be Morticia's maternal uncle. His name rhymes with that of Morticia's mother, Hester. However, <laughs> from from the 1970s onward, he is uh. Gomez's brother. Uh, in the show, okay. Uh, in, in I, I think in everything, but oh, this is this is specifically talking about the um the the nineteen sixties sitcom. He is Morticia's uncle. That is an interesting piece of trivia. That mm-hmm. is. Hmm. All right. Next question, Pink Wedge. What show had critic Douglas Durden raving? I quote: <laughs> "This is the most important comedy show for women ever." Oh, Colin Murphy Brown. Incorrect. Most important comedy show for women. Jumping back in time a little bit. Uh, how about is it Kate and Allie? No, no, it is the Mary Tyler Moore show. Oh, okay. 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 Yellow wedge. What was detective pepper? That's quotes. So you can hear it. Listeners. Okay. All right. What was detective pepper? Pepper Martin's real first name on Police Woman. Oh man, that's <laughs> with, uh, with Angie uh, with Angie Dickinson, right? Is that who it was? I don't know. Uh, oh man, I'm. Oh, my what gosh. was her first name? Uh, I'll say Angie. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I'll say Angie. It is Suzanne. Oh, Suzanne. Okay. Oh, all right. I'm guessing this card is from like early to mid '80s. That's that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. You know what? We you know what? I feel good. Let's keep going. We might Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Next one, Brown Wedge. What kids show lampoon Star Trek with a skit called Pigs in Space 
starring Captain Link Heartthrob on the <laughs> Swine Trek. <laughs> Chris. That is the Muppet Show. Love da, 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 da. All right, Green Wedge, which I'm not going to ask this question because it's uh, kind of offensive. It was written in the past. I'm going right. to sub in a question okay. here. Sub in a question, also TV related, but from a more current card. Which restaurant chain founded by Mark, Donnie, and Paul Wahlberg is huh. the subject of an A&E television series? Chris. Wall Tacos. No, it's Wahlbergs. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Guy who counts all the points. I get the point. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Wahlbergers. Correct. All right, we're going back to the old TV card. Right. Orange Wedge, last question. What fraction of Americans showed interest in buying TVs in 1939? Multiple choice. 13%, 26%, or 52%? I mean, the rule rule of Kohler. The rule of Kohler says choose the middle one, right? Choose the middle middle (laughs) one. When given three multiple choice numerical options. I, I, I would feel like a jerk if I did not follow the advice of my good friend, Chris Kohler. But I gut says maybe a little the lowest one. That's the thing, because it's so early. And I mean, I can totally see a lot of people saying, you know, it's like asking people if they want to buy like a Zoom or whatever. It's just like, oh, why (laughs) would I want that? You know, so it's like, right. Like, it's a I, more I, interesting trivia question if it's it the lowest. It would be smart one. to go with the middle one. I'm going to I'm going to actually say the 13%. All right, then I'm going to ride along. 13. Oh. <laughs> and the answer is 13%. Okay. All right. All right. Good All right. Logicking yep. over there. Woo. Yep. All right, today's topic. So, <laughs> when we meet people who learn that we run a trivia podcast, we always get asked, "Hey, What's your favorite fact? <laughs> what well, what is your all time favorite fact? It's so hard to answer yeah. because there 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 are just too many. Or some people would ask us, uh, "What's your favorite segment that you did? What was your all time favorite segment?" It's like, man, we we did two hundred sixty episodes. There's like multiple segments in each episode. There's like a lot. So I think a better question to ask is, "What is a fact that you always?" think about what is some what is a piece of trivia from the show whether or not it was your favorite segment or not but it's something that you always think about or you always kind of find yourself thinking about do you have any of those guys i i often find myself thinking about the uh chinese emperor who died and then was sort of weekend at bernie'd you know uh for as long as was needed to kind of keep things rolling smoothly um that one i don't know why it's like i find in my own mind ways to make analogies between that and a lot of things in life that i see I, I think about uh, Thomas Jefferson getting roasted and canceled over the, the, the mountain of salt, um, which I, I think is still a really good story. For me, this is something I think about all the time because I see it all the time. Chris, it's from your segment. It's the phenomenon of leaves falling. Leaves falling oh, sure. when it's fall to winter. I yes. Every time I'm out and I see dead leaves on the ground, I think of you and your segment, you know, what we think of beautiful leaves falling, the seasons are changing. It's like, no, it's leaf murder, the tree on pur- <laughs> on purpose, killing the leaves and pushing them off the ledge. It's leaf murder. <laughs> I find myself taking walks all the time. And I, every time I see leaves, I was like, I think about, I was like, ah, leaf murder, leaf murder here, <laughs> leaf murder there. <laughs> and so today's episode inspired by the seasons changing, it's getting cold. Mm. So this week, let's keep warm with some winter trivia, winter facts. So this week, winter is coming. (laughs) Wow, that was such a big part of my life. And oh it's my like gosh! Over really, it yeah. really was. Yeah, maybe. No, it's oh, over. Yeah, it'll... <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So, Karen, I can actually. Um, I I would love to tell you um about maybe some plants uh that don't uh lose their leaves in the winter time. How about that? Yes. A very on topic segment. This segment is called "Why Japanese People Don't Like Root Beer." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> totally on topic uh, for the for the winter uh, themed show. Why Japanese people don't like root beer? So if you know oh. anything about Japan, it's that it is an hmm. absolute wonderland of just various different products. If you go hmm. to the oh, soda yes. area or the drinks area in any convenience store, you will simply be assaulted by every possible variation on mm -hmm. everything. You can get yep. almost anything there. You get anything in Japan, but you cannot get root beer. You cannot wow. get a frosty mm. glass of, of A&W root beer, uh, you know, whatever, Dad's, Heinz. There's no <laughs> mug. There's certainly no A&W restaurants. I cannot imagine. I mean, there's they got KFC in Japan. They got Taco Bell in Japan. They got Wendy's in Japan. There's no way that A&W would ever be able to open up because they are centered around a product that if you give it to, I'm not saying every Japanese person, I'm saying the vast majority, okay. if you give it to them and have them drink it, very likely they've never had one in their life. And the second they taste it, they will taste it and just be like, that is disgusting. Like that's oh. it's not like I don't like it. It's like, that's, super gross why would you drink that i had a friend who back in the day lived in japan for like eight years was like dang i can't find root beer anywhere and then one day he went to a store that had like some western products and they had in a glass case some six packs of root beer so he's like, oh it's root beer so he brings it he takes it home and then a little while and he's saving all these bottles you know for like special occasions he had, a, he had a Thanksgiving party. He had people over to the house. There were Japanese people in the house. Japanese guy opens the fridge. Oh, can I have one of these beers? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can oh. have a beer. And, like, the guy opens up the root beer, and, like, he turns, and he sees the guy about to take a sip of root beer, and he's like, no, slow motion. I co-worker, you know, takes a sip of the root beer and just makes the – it's just like, oh, and he just starts pouring it down the drain. Oh, no. He's just like, this went bad. So what's that? What's going what on here? Heck? And also, what does this have to do with anything? Well, to understand this, we have to talk about a plant. We have to talk about rather a grouping of plants that are known as wintergreen. Oh. So... You probably heard of wintergreen, like a flavor of gum or a yeah. flavor of toothpaste or lifesavers yeah. or Necco wafers or whatever. And the word wintergreen was originally used like the word um, evergreen to refer to like plants that were still green in the winter. Like their mm, leaves mm. don't turn brown. Oh, their oh leaves are God, not that murdered. That so right? much sense. <laughs> it does. But the way we say now that plants in evergreen, people used to say, oh, that's a wintergreen. But now it refers more to a specific grouping of plants and in north america the plant that we know as wintergreen is very common in new england it, it grows on the ground it's like ground cover type plant and it has the leaves and it has little red berries that are edible um they're called uh oh. tea berries huh. so it's not so common anymore if you ever heard of like tea berry pie tea berry flavored gum nope. like an old school nope. kind of gum you can still get <laughs> nope. um According to Wikipedia, and no, I did not have time to dig any further on this one, so teachers can mark me as, uh, you know, not using a, a proper source, but um, <laughs> tea berries, I just want to let you know that tea berries are also called <clears throat> uh, box berries, canterberries, checkerberries, chicken berries, deer berries, ginger berries, green berries, ground berries, grouse berries, hill berries, one berries, <laughs> spice berries, or star berries. Uh, that was like a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> yes. I think a lot of the uh, the chicken berry and the deer berry and the ground berries all because they grow on the ground. The deer ground eat them because they're on the ground. Yeah. So anyway, so from wintergreen, aka the, the tea berry plant, you can get the, you can get the tea berries. So you can eat them, or you can get wintergreen oil from the leaves, and uh. and this is the flavoring that is used uh. to make. Winto green lifesavers, and you know, win, that's what they call it. Yeah, and, real, and winter green toothpaste, and whatever. It's a real thing. I think I always assumed it was just, you know, kind of Mint. marketing talk. Yeah, just branding. Yeah, I didn't. Nope, nope. I mean, spearmint is from literally mint, and then winter green is from this different type of plant. Huh. And winter green is considered to be like a minty flavor, but it's not mint. It's not in the mint family. It's it's a different type of plant. You that are just blowing has my mind with these oil. Oh, and by the way, I want to go on a little tangent here. It has nothing to do with anything, but this is really interesting. There is a phenomenon known as triboluminescence, and that means light from yes! friction. 
Yeah. Yes. If you add friction to something, the electrons take on the energy of the friction, and when it gets released, it gets released in the form of light. So if you're in a really dark room, and you yeah. take a sugar cube, and you crush a sugar cube in a dark room, and you like add that friction to it, you might actually be able to see a faint blue light appear when you crush the sugar cube, because the energy... <laughs> The the peanut gallery here is freaking out. Um, so you crush, you might actually be able to see a faint blue light when you crush the cube, right? Now, a winter green lifesaver has sugar in it, but it also has wintergreen oil. And the thing with the wintergreen oil is that it's fluorescent. Mm. So, so if you're in a, go into a dark room with winter green lifesaver brand mouth rings and you chew it and. <laughs> you're doing the triboluminescence of the glucose that's giving off light and that's hitting the fluorescent wintergreen oil and you yeah. will see sparks light sparks when you crush it up or chew yeah. it with your mouth open right uh, yes me so, and my sister did it we yep, like me well, and my we, sister we, we read about this and we're like let's buy a pack and we're just like yeah. in the corner like eating and be like do you see it do you see it <laughs> my sister and i did the same thing like we we had our mom buy a pack and we went in like the closet in my sister's bedroom we're just like <laughs> crunch 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 it's like oh i see it's- it i see it yeah we were probably just the the mintiest two children I know, right? Or... Not minty, yeah. uh, winty. But you need the. <laughs> Speaking of good marketing and branding. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so you need. So it turns out it's not the wintergreen alone, and it's not the sugar alone, but it is. It's the Together. combination wow. of those two things in the the wintergreen lifesaver. So the wintergreen oil, the, the actual science name for the wintergreen oil is methyl salicylate. Okay. Methyl salicylate, okay. right? So apart from being a flavor of gum, methyl salicylate is also, in fact, maybe you're thinking about like a recent episode in which I asked you about acetyl salicylic acid, yes. which is, which was more commonly known as aspirin aspirin Aspirin. and in fact when methyl salicylic gets into the body it is broken down into salicylic acid which is very similar to aspirin it is a pain relief drug and it's not that you necessarily take it orally but methyl salicylate just wintergreen oil uh can be and in fact is often used in pain relief ointments or like or those pain relief patches that you have a muscle pain on it so it is in fact it is it is used to great extent uh ah. in a pain relief brand of pain relief patch called salonpas i don't know if you've ever seen oh, yeah absolutely, patches. absolutely. <laughs> getting, getting more yeah well salonpas was invented in 1934 in japan <sighs> we're starting to get there you will now not be surprised to hear that one of the key ingredients that makes root beer taste like root beer, that kind of spicy flavor, is wintergreen oil. Uh... And in the U.S., in the U.S., see, we kind of associate, like, the topical pain relief patches with, like, either athletes or, like, old people like us. Yes, like, oh, my, yes. <laughs> my back, i got to put a patch on my, my knee, you know, whatever. Yep. But in Japan... Salonpas patches in particular are still very, very popular among all ages uh, of people for any kind of topical pain relief. By the way, you gotta watch out with those things because people have died because they're like, oh, I'm just gonna put a bunch of these patches oh, on. And oh, they no. they OD on the set on aspirin, basically, right? So you gotta watch out with that stuff. But so whenever you see a YouTube video that's like, we got Japanese people to try root beer, watch the funny <laughs> stuff that happens. Young people, like young wow. people in their you know, teens and in their 20s are just like, oh, it tastes like it tastes like a medicinal patch. It <sighs> tastes like salonpas. They don't taste the salonpas, but it has such a powerful odor and it tastes like it smells. And that smell is highly associated with being in pain or being sick. So that oh, is a gross man. smell. So when they drink the root beer, it's it tastes like being sick. It triggers smells. your your you're just sort of your gut level brain level wow. reaction. Wow. wow. And then the weird thing is, every now and again they find the Japanese person who loves it. So I have no, I you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, no blanket statement is going to work for everybody. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so wintergreen oil. It's interesting stuff, and it's why Japanese people don't like root beer. 
That is really amazing. I think I always assumed Salon Pass was, I don't know, French or something like that. I, I mean, and just, I mean, just so many, so many aspects yep. of this story are, are just so uh, incredible. Jaw dropping. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's like hits after hits, Chris. Uh, yeah. The one wow. That was a tight set. 10 years <laughs> into the show, more than, and still like dropping this on us. I know. Amazing. Wow. Mm. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> It's cold outside. And you know mm. what? It's the best thing to eat when it's cold outside. You need some some of that comfort is a, a bowl of soup. Yes. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. So here I have a quiz all about soups. Get your barnyard buzzers ready. This is a buzzing quiz. All right. Most of these are pretty easy, but there's some good trivia nuggets in here. So let's jump in. In 1895, Campbell, Campbell Soup Company, introduced their first ready-to-eat soup. Mm, uh, back ah. then, it was actually in a jar. It wasn't in yeah. a can. They haven't developed the can yet, but it was in a jar. <laughs> what kind of soup was it? We've had this oh. on the show before. What flavor was it? Bonus points if you can give me the full flavor name, Colin. Oh, geez. Uh, mushroom soup. Cream of mushroom. Incorrect. Okay. Chris, you um, okay. take a stab? About, uh, chicken noodle soup. It is beefsteak tomato. Mm. Not just tomato not soup, just, which they tomato. eventually yeah. changed yeah, to. Beefsteak tomato. Yeah. Beefsteak tomato. Mm. A good bit of marketing. Good mm-hmm. bit of yeah. branding there. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. All right. Next question. Ding Tai Fung. Or in Chinese, Ding Taifeng, is a Chinese food restaurant based in Taipei, Taiwan. That's now a global chain. Mm. Ding Taifeng is famous for what signature dish? Ah. (laughs) Chris. The soup dumpling. Yes, the soup dumpling. Xiaolongbao. So good. I just ate for the first time at the one in Las Vegas. I don't know if this is true or not. From people who've eaten it in both Asia and in America, is that I mean what they have said is like the soup in the soup dumpling is not as hot in the American restaurants. That was absolutely my experience. Yep. Uh, Okay, we all agree on this. And, and we, we understand why, right? Because the way that you eat these things, if you haven't eaten them before, is they have very hot soup inside a dumpling. So yep. you're supposed to puncture it, let the hot soup out into a spoon, and then slurp the hot soup, and then you eat the rest of the dumpling, right? But Americans will just yep. take the if – they, if they got an Asian hot dumpling, pop it into their mouth, <laughs> immediately. Explode, Boiling hot water into their mouth, and then they would sue Din Tai Fung, you know, <laughs> to the ground, right? Yep, 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 you're right. Here's the thing growing up in Taipei, Taiwan, uh, the soup dumpling is not a particularly super remarkable thing, mm-hmm. it's nothing super extra special or anything. So, how did the Din Tai Fung phenomenon blow up? We got what Colin, you said it's in Vegas. It's yeah. in the it's in Dubai. It's yeah. in Australia. It's up here in Seattle. It's a global chain now and it's such a big deal and it's like how did it get all of a sudden get so big for this this item that I was just kind of like growing up I was like, "Ah, eh, it's okay. It's fine." <laughs> all thanks to Japan. So, oh, really? Yes, the restaurant itself. There's so many places that have soup dumplings, you know, but Din Tai Fung advertised in Japanese tourism magazines. Ah. So when when tourists from Japan come to Taiwan in their, their travel planning, you know, literature mm-hmm. or catalogs, they would see ads for Ting Taifeng and they're like, oh, well, if we're going to go to Taiwan, we have to go to this traditional place Smart. to eat these soup Smart. dumplings. And all of a sudden you see this one store with a whole bunch of Japanese tourists line out the door and you're like, wow, what's that place? And it just gained momentum from there. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. that at all. Yeah. I think when most people think about Chinese food, they think about like a hole in the wall or they think about like Chinese takeout or delivery. Whereas Di Tang Fong is like such an experience to go to the restaurant 
everything is so clean. Everything is so efficient. Yeah. Uh, the customer yeah. service is spectacular. You see the people making the dumplings in the little fish tank or, you know, like, sorry, not fish tank, but <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the it's called a chef tank, Karen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, chef tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a spectacle. There's always a line. And it's always good. It's, it's always good. Consistently good. All right. Next question. Who was the host of the cult classic TV show, The Soup, which uh-huh. uh, recapped various pop culture moments throughout the week. At, at what point? Oh. Oh. Uh, well, Joel McHale. Or Greg Kinnear. I'm sorry, Colin. You're thinking about Talk Soup. Oh, okay. uh, it's a different uh, show. But yes, Joel McHale Joel got McHale. his start hosting The Soup, which was on E! exclamation point channel so great i mean as as much as people like him on community i like i think that was his best thing that he ever did was he was so perfect for that role and children for those of you who don't know what the soup uh is (laughs) it is a kind of pre-internet i guess Uh, a show would take all of the the crazy insane moments of reality tv or normal Mm. tv and then kind of do a commentary over it. Back then, it was a very novel, yeah. novel idea. <laughs> and Joel McHale was great. Next question. Soldiers coming back from World War II might have helped popularize the grilled cheese sandwich. But it is in American public schools where it got paired with what? Chris. Uh, I, I have to guess tomato soup. <laughs> yeah, Correct. Tomato yeah. soup. Mm. Because of vitamin C. So it would serve the processed cheese, grilled cheese, and be like, something moderately (laughs) healthy to go with it. So Mm -hmm. let's give them some tomato soup, which happens to have vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect marriage of of flavors. Thanks, lunch ladies. Next question. Miso soup, a mainstay in Japanese cuisine, is made of soup stock, additions like seaweed and tofu, and of course, miso. What exactly is miso? Call uh, Chris. <laughs> uh, fermented <laughs> soybeans. Yes, correct. It is fermented soybean <laughs> paste. Mm. Importantly, it is soybeans. Like actual, they get a bunch of beans, inoculate the soybeans with a special mm. fungus, and mm. it's called koji. In, in Japanese, mm-hmm. it's called koji, which is a special strain of fungus. Next soup question. What is the key difference between gazpacho and most other soups? <laughs> Colin. Gazpacho is typically served cold. Cold. Not good for winter. Cold. Have you guys had gazpacho? I, I love a good gazpacho. Yeah, yeah, I really do. I've had ketchup right out of the bottle. Is that... <laughs> what? what? <laughs> yeah. So gazpacho is it's Andalusian, which is a uh, Andalusian oh. is the, the region of, of South of Spain. But yes, you had the Amer- yeah. Americano version of gazpacho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Americano oh, version of <laughs> All right, next question: Kakaliki. Yeah, Kakaliki is a soup hailing from Scotland. What are the two main ingredients of Kakaliki? Oh, this could go so many directions. Chris. I would have to say probably chicken and leeks. Correct. It is chicken and leeks. <laughs> yeah, Kakaliki. Yeah. Fun to say. Kakaliki. Yeah. Kakaliki. All right. The three main aromatic herbs in Thai soup, Tom Yum, and we love a good Tom Yum, is uh-huh. lemongrass, kaffir sure. lime leaves, and galangal. I'm sorry mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing it wrong. Galangal. Mm-hmm. Galangal. Lemongrass is grass. Kaffir lime leaves are leaves from the kaffir lime plant. Mm-hmm. What is galangal? Colin. Is it a root like a ginger or something sort of like? Okay. Yes, All right. it's a rice. Right. It is. I mean, I was looking for ginger. It, you know, it's not exactly ginger, but it, it's in the ginger family. Mm. And it, for a long time, I thought it was like a fruit, but it is a hunk of root that looks like ginger. That's what galangal uh. is. All right, next question. This is a hard one. In the Pixar film Ratatouille, in the movie's climax, Remy the Rat prepares Ratatouille, (laughs) a French vegetable (laughs) stew, for the food critic. What was the food critic's name? Oh, Oh, God. Man. 
just rewatched uh, this too. I saw this not too long ago. Who was he voiced by? I think he was voiced by Peter O'Toole. God. Uh, let's see. Goodness. Start did it start with an M? No. No. His name is no. Anton Eagle. Oh, right. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yes. 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 Who was the voice actor? Hold on. Peter O'Toole. Wow. Good job, Peter Brain. Yeah. Nice. Can't Good job, Brain. That out. Oof. Oh. Last question, last question in the soup quiz. New England clam chowder is white, cream-based. Yes, yes. We talked about this on the show before. Manhattan clam chowder is red, yes. tomato-based. What do you call it when you combine the two into a pinkish chowder? What? <sighs> Chris. New Jersey clam chowder. <laughs> <laughs> your your logic is on the right track. Thank you. <laughs> it is called the Long Island clam ah, chowder. Oh my gosh! Because it's somewhere, <laughs> it's a place between New England and Manhattan. Oh my gosh! A Long Island clam chowder is made with rum, rum. gin, vodka, <laughs> one fifty one. Heavy cream clams, yeah. mm-hmm. and then you yeah. float, and then you float the one fifty one and oyster crackers. You <laughs> set it on fire. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And then you set it on fire, and then you throw it in the garbage. <laughs> oh my god! Someone should have like Long Island night where you drink Long Island clam chowder and Long Island iced tea. Put down some tarps first. Yeah. <laughs> Time to um, pose myself. All right, time to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles. Smart trivia. Good Job Brain. With the theme of winter and wintry facts, I have enjoyed assembling for you two a grab bag quiz about all things wintry, cold, icy, frozen, snowy, Christmassy, what have you. This will be a write-down quiz. Why don't you each get something to write with? And the name of this quiz is Winter by the Numbers. And every question in this quiz, we'll have a numeric answer. So for every question, it is going to be closest to the mark, gets the point. Some of them will be years. Some of them will be measurements. Some of them will be uh, various other things. So here we go. First question. How tall, and I'll do the unit conversion for you, okay? How tall is the current Guinness World Record holder for world's tallest Snow person. Wow. Like assisted or unassisted? You know right, what I mean? It's right, like right, someone like, with like a rebar structure underneath mm, dousing water. Yeah, right. Yeah. What I mean, you know, what effort are you going to put into to make it into the Guinness book? You decide what units you want to give me. All right. Answers up. Okay, Karen says 80 feet. Chris says 52 feet. Mm -hmm. I like the specificity. Karen takes the point. You both underestimated the the current 
record holder for world's tallest snow person. She is, in fact, a snow woman. Uh, it is in the town of Bethel, Maine. In 2008, they built a 122-foot oh. tall snow person with with substantial amount of assistance uh this was not just some kids getting some snow together in the backyard yeah no uh this is amazing the the townspeople and people from surrounding towns as well built a snow woman over the period of one month this snow woman is only a little bit shorter than the statue of liberty i mean just to put this in context yes the statue herself as as chris has talked about before on the show though you know the pedestal makes her seem you know more imposing but yeah 122 feet one inch in fact uh her name is olympia olympia the snow woman this is a direct sort of uh homage to senator olympia snow who was Senator of Maine from 95 to 2013. Um, I mean, 122 feet tall. Her her eyelashes were made of eight pairs of skis. This thing is is just giant. Her arms were trees. Her arms were two 30-foot tall spruce trees just wedged in on the side. I mean, these are not twigs for arms. If you're looking at pictures online, and I encourage you to do so, it's not like three balls, right? Kind of the classic American <laughs> snowman. Because to make something 122 feet tall safely, she's basically sort of a gently sloping tall pyramid. You know, I right. mean, it's she's an she's an inverted funnel. She is a she's a, a cone, more or less. But yeah, very oh impressive. Gosh. Her scarf her scarf is 130 feet long. She has lips uh, made from five red car tires, kind of stuck in a smile there. Uh, I mean, just truly incredible feat of of, of, wow. of of gumption by I wrote down a hundred feet and I was just like, no, there, there's no way somebody would know, <laughs> but I, I underestimated people's ability here. That just 10 years prior to her um, debut, there was another mega snow person, a snowman in Bethel, Maine uh, in, in, oh. 1990, in 1999, Bethel, Maine uh, introduced Angus King of the Mountain who was 113 feet tall. So the 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 proud people of Bethel Maine have a rich tradition of these yeah gargantuan <laughs> snow people. Yeah. Uh, it's all it might be downhill from here after Olympia the 122 foot tall snow woman, but we'll see where we can go. All right. Moving right along. Next question. At the beginning of the novel A Game of Thrones Ooh, by gosh. George R R Martin, how old is the character Jon Snow. Ooh. Mm-hmm. As you guys know, it is different from the TV show, but how different? All right, answers uh, up. Uh, uh. You have both answered 14. You both got it right on the nose. You got okay. it. All right. He was indeed, he was indeed 14 years old at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. On the HBO TV series, they made him slightly older. They 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 said he was 16. It's hard living. It's a hard living 16, you know. Next question. Every year around this time, millions of Americans turn on their TVs to watch a beloved holiday story about the protagonist's seasonal depression and disillusionment with capitalism. I'm talking, of course, about a Charlie Brown Christmas a beloved <laughs> staple of American TV premiered on CBS. What year? Wow. What year did a Charlie Brown Christmas, Christmas first air has aired every year since then? Sure. Oh, okay. My sister was born. <laughs> the show was a smash hit despite being considered a gamble for CBS. They were they were pretty reluctant to air it in fact at first. Answers up. Chris oh. says 1966, 
Karen says 1978. Chris, one year off, December 1965. Yeah, I really had no idea. I mean, looking back, it seems like such an obvious hit now, but CBS passed on the pitch at first. They really, it was kind of just untested and unproven. They didn't think there was going to be a big market for it. Um, They really had, there was a lot of cajoling to get this thing made at all. Um, I mean, even I guess right up in, until airtime, even the executives were really kind of like, okay, let's just get this thing out there. We're kind of like contractually obligated to run it and then just move on. Um, nearly half of TV viewers in the country tuned in to watch it. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They love it Snoopy. Was, it. I mean, look, every year since then, it has uh, definitely proven that. All right. Moving right along. What is the coldest temperature? recorded in u.s history oh my gosh i will even offer you a bonus point for the state that this temperature was recorded coldest temperature recorded in u.s history (sighs) wow this dates to 1971 it's negative I will tell you, it is negative. Yes, it is negative. In fact, in fact, all but one, all but one of our great states has experienced a sub-zero oh, temperature. Yes. Okay. Answers up. Oh. Karen says Whoa. negative fifty-two degrees Fahrenheit and Alaska. Chris says negative forty-two degrees Fahrenheit Whoa. and Alaska. Karen gets two points uh, because it is indeed Alaska. And the lowest temperature ever recorded there uh, was negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Yes. Yes. Uh, That was, uh, yeah, January 1971, Prospect Creek, Alaska, negative 80. It is interesting. I was looking at this at the records for for every state here. And uh, even... Well, you guys, maybe maybe you can guess here. Think about it. Well, like, if what, what state do you think has not experienced a sub-zero temperature? It's, it's not. It is Hawaii. That's right. Yeah, the lowest the lowest temperature on record for Hawaii is a uh, balmy twelve degrees Fahrenheit, uh, dating to nineteen seventy nine. Uh, but yeah, cool. yeah, it's pretty cool for Hawaii. Yeah, uh, the, the the coldest temperature in the contiguous U.S. Not far off, negative seventy degrees Fahrenheit uh, in uh, Rogers Pass, Montana. Yeah, so we're wow. not we're not lagging, we're not lagging too far behind. Mm. Yeah, now again, it only has to hit these temperatures once. Not saying it does this all the time. Mm. All right. Uh, well, when you get temperatures that low, negative two, three, four, negative 70, negative 80, wherever you fall in there, uh, depending on where you live, you will very likely encounter frozen lakes and frozen ponds. According to the National Weather Service, what is the minimum safe thickness mm. of ice to drive a car across? No. <laughs> <laughs> there are guidelines for how safe it is to walk across one person, you know, no, snowmobiles. It's gotta, it's gotta All right. Like, it's gotta be like, all right. I love, I love that we got the, uh, the, the West coast what? people who are answering this question. All right. <laughs> Karen, Karen, I love the range here. All right. Karen says 20 inches. And Chris mm. says 10 feet. Chris, you are yeah. indeed extremely conservative on that side. Yeah. Most sources say you need at least eight inches of ice oh, no! to be That's safe. Yes. Across to drive a car. Eight to 12 is kind of the range at which it's, yeah, but eight would be on the absolute lowest oh. end, according to the National Weather Service. Yeah, no. to drive a car. I'm sure listeners out there who know more than I do about this wow. laughing at my naivete. But yeah, I mean, growing up in Los Angeles, this is not ever a concern of mine. I mean, you don't want your car anywhere near a lake uh, at any time of the year. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I learned, I learned some interesting stuff about this. Like, well, so for one, the, the safest ice is the newest ice, just new, clear, oh, okay. the most integrity. You you want to uh, avoid the older, slushier, cloudier ice is going to is not going to be as strong. You can walk on ice 
safely starting you know around four inches even and you can ride you know a snow a snowmobile starting around five inches or so so yeah it it really has a lot of integrity now lakes and ponds are much safer than rivers maybe for obvious reasons because there's no current underneath yeah right uh you know don't don't count on good job brain for survival uh (laughs) tips here this is for entertainment only. Do not drive your car out on a frozen lake and be like, the podcast told me to do it. Honey, does, does this look like about eight inches ice to you? How many inches would you say this is? <laughs> All right, point to Karen closest to there with the 20 inches to eight. Yeah. I thought you had uh, spinal tapped it for a second. I'm like, oh, Karen... Karen, she put the little inch marker. She must be peep, you know? But no, you're right. All right. Sticking with adventure and danger here. We'll see how conservative maybe your guess is here, Chris. How many people have reached the summit of Mount Everest? Ooh. Oh. Now, of course, this okay. is according to the best records. This is... Mm-hmm. Okay. How many people... According to the Himalayan database, in fact, mm. yeah, I, I won't. I won't give you any hints here, one way or the other. But yeah, um, we have we have a pretty good idea. A lot of people have attempted. A lot of people bail out. Um, I mean, regretfully, a lot of people have perished doing this. How many people have successfully completed the trip to the summit of Mount Everest? To the very top. All right, mm-hmm. to the very top. Mm-hmm. Are we counting Sherpas? We're counting every single human being who has been up mm-hmm. there. Yep. Okay. Oh, okay. Karen says 815. Chris says 5,000. Again, I love seeing the spread here. This is great. What I hope for with these quizzes. Chris gets the point. Oh. Uh, as of January 2023, the number, the best number that I could find is 6,000. 338 wow. people. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely more than I would have guessed. I, I would have guessed in the hundreds too, before I did a little bit of research on this. Let's transition to a safer activity somewhat. Uh, each winter <laughs> season, each winter season, more than 100,000 New Yorkers and tourists from around the world visit the Rockefeller Center Ooh. ice skating rink. Uh, yes. Features prominently in many TV shows, many movies over the years. What year did the Ooh. Rockefeller Center ice skating oh, rink man. open? I will tell you, it was a hit right away. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Rockefeller, Rockefeller. Yeah. I mean, you might know when the building and the plaza were completed. That might help you pin it down a little bit. Nope. Maybe not. No, I sure don't. All right. uh... Let's see your answers. Chris says 1903. Karen says 1883. Chris is closer. You both a little bit early here, substantially. uh, (laughs) It opened to the public on Christmas Day, 1936. 1936. Oh. Yeah. Later than I would have guessed as well. Yeah. So 1936 point to Chris there. It was temporary at first, you know, so prior to the ice rink being there, it was definitely not part of the original vision. It was sort of an open plaza with, you know, there was some retail space. It, it was not particularly popular, it sounds like. And they kind of just figured, let's try something here, sort of maybe and see how it goes for the holiday season in 1936. Yeah. Like I say, immediate hit. New Yorkers loved it. Uh, and it became clear that they had to bring it back the next year and the next year and the next year. In 1939, it was upgraded uh, to a permanent installation Mm. of a 120 by 60 foot rink. Um, My impression of it the first time I went there was it seems so much smaller than it looks like on TV and movies. Like you get out there, it's like, oh, wow, it's it's very intimate and kind of cozy out there. Um, The Nintendo store is across the street, right? It is. That's where I go. It's pretty big in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we are all tied up here. Five to what? five. Oh, yes, this is exciting here. Unless I uh, goofed in the scorekeeping, but let's let, let's just go with this. We're tied up. Bear with me a little bit on this last question. Maybe maybe a little sideways thinking involved here, but still in line with our numeric quiz. And we'll plug a we'll plug a good cause here. So as you, as you may know, 
the United States Postal Service runs a yearly program named USPS Operation Santa. And mm-hmm. this is a program where children and families can send an official letter to <laughs> Santa Claus. And mm-hmm. for many years, the Postal Service would accept letters just simply addressed to Santa Claus, North Pole. And they would have sort of an unofficial official policy of employees could answer them if they wanted to. They could pass them on to other groups if they wanted to answer kids. Very often, very legitimate wishes for things, you know? Um, And over time, this this got formalized. Whoa. Uh, In in fact, now it's become a a very well-run kind of gift exchange or, you know, almost like a a charity program that, you know, so they, the postal service will select uh, a number of these candidate letters each year and they will match people with gift givers. So as I mentioned, once upon a time, you could just write, you know, Santa Claus, North Pole, and there's a very good chance that your letter would end up somewhere. So a few years ago, they assigned an official address that you should use for Santa Claus when you are sending your letters uh, as part Mm -hmm. of uh, Operation Santa. Now, the the street address, uh, if you will, is 123 Elf Road, the North Pole. And my question to you is, Mm -hmm. what is the zip code for Operation Santa? I will tell you only that it is a it is a valid U.S. zip code, um, at least in terms of it following the rules of what the zip codes need to be. Even though it's a zip code, we'll go with closest to as if we were approximating a value. Never mind. I thought I was clever. Okay. Well, no, you should be clever. I, I want to encourage you guys to just kind of to see where <laughs> yeah, you see where your yeah. brains go with this one. It's a zip code that might be appreciated by Olympia the Snow Woman. Uh, it is. It is cryptic. Chris says, oh, four, oh, four, oh, four. Oh, I like it. Like, like, ho, 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 upside down. That's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Karen, however, has nailed it with eight, 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 eight. Yes, it is one, two, three, Elf Road, North Pole, eight, 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 eight. And I saw that. I'm like, that's so cute. There's snowmen. There's snow people, right? How clever. Uh, I looked into it. It turns out, uh, no, actually, it's not necessarily to uh, resemble snowmen. It's kind of just a uh, general purpose administrative zip code that they use. Oh, that's like easy to write. It works so well, eight, 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 eight. Yeah, well, Karen. Karen, well done. All right. You you know your yep. winter. Winter is coming. Good job. Very good. Good job, Brains. Nice. And the moral of the quiz is snow woman, <laughs> snow cry. <laughs> Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days In, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions supply. Visit website for more details. All right, I have our last winter segment and travel uh, travel back in time with me. Uh, this is 1992. I was in third grade. I'm in the nurse's office, the nurse's room at school, <laughs> unwilling to look at anybody. I'm just trying to like disappear into this into the wall, into this corner, <laughs> facing the corner. Very recently, we had an episode about embarrassment. And I talked about what is called an involuntary memory, uh, which colloquially we call it a cringe attack. It is a memory of something that is so embarrassing that happened in your life. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, your brain holds on to it. And when you least expect it, the memory will will appear and it, it will make you cringe, right? It's a cringe attack. And the interesting thing about this is it's so embarrassing that it made your brain remember it, like remember all of these details very vividly. So this right, is a cringe right. attack memory. So I'm standing. So I just remember everything. I remember I was wearing a dark pink sweater. I had my pink glasses. I'm just staring in this corner being like, oh, my God, please. Can I please disappear? So this happened back in Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan is a relatively hot country. Um, Mm -hmm. But the winters can get chilly. It's one of those things where 
the winter hits one day, the temperature just drops and you're like, oh, okay, it's winter now. <laughs> just before I got to the nurse's room, I was outside at recess. And this is one of those days when the temperature dropped. This, this guy, I even remember his name, Teddy Chi. He was <laughs> on top of the play structure at recess. So he was like high up there and he looks down, he sees me, he points his finger at me and yelled, Karen's face is about to explode. My next memory is I'm in the nurse's room. So why was I there? Why was I hiding in the corner? Why is my face about to explode? What's happening? So I didn't know it at the time, but I had a rare case of cold urticaria. Huh. Huh. Cold urticaria. The skin has an abnormal reaction to cold. <gasps> Oh my gosh. Oh. I was legitimately allergic to cold. <laughs> wow. It was something that happened to me. If I get out of the swimming pool, oh. I, will, I, I will get it. Uh, when it's really cold, I will get it. And this is what, what's actually happening. My skin will start getting little bumps, like little, like uh, not flea bites, little bug bites. Yeah. Right? Little, a bunch of little bumps. Then they start to get itchy. Then they start swelling up like oh. welts and, and the bumps grow into bigger bumps and they start growing together oh and God. it's like splotchy. I felt like I was a mutant. You know, that's what, that's what I was 10 years old. I was like, this is happening. I'm like going to morph into a lizard. <laughs> Holy yeah. moly. I didn't know at the time that this is a, a rare case. So, you know, let's back up. Sometimes maybe you find yourself in the rain, maybe you're like out cycling in the cold or you're, mm -hmm. you're walking somewhere, you come back home and it's warm and your skin might feel a little bit red, maybe a little mm. bit itchy, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, when yeah. it's like a yeah. long exposure to cold. So that's like a mild case of cold urticaria. Oh my God. So you're like mildly allergic to this cold. But I had a case where I was growing hives. I was legitimately oh growing hives. And was it? painful i mean is it it's itchy it... okay. it's itchy and it's painful in that a kid at the playground told me that my face was gonna explode it's yeah teddy, teddy yeah, emotionally. yeah 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 <laughs> my gosh. No, you know i i don't know if he did it as like making fun or he was like actually concerned yeah mm -hmm. yeah in a very early episode of good job brain we talked about the science of sneezing Right. Like sometimes mm. when you sneeze, this is how you stop sneezing or mm -hmm. you need to facilitate a sneeze. What do you do? People tell you to look at the light. Right. Because your sneeze nerve in yep. your face is very mm -hmm. close to your optic nerve in your mm -hmm. face. So if you trigger the optic nerve, it will kind of like stimulate the, the sneezing nerve. And so I had that, too. So, you know, every time I wake up and I'm in the sunshine, I'll start sneezing. And my dad used to you, you used to joke around and be like, oh, you're allergic to the sun. But, you know, it wasn't a joke to me. I thought I was legitimately allergic to the sun because it yeah. made me sneeze every day. So now I'm 10. I'm allergic to the sun and I'm allergic <laughs> yeah, to the yeah, cold. Yeah, I can't win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't live on the earth. I was like having an existential crisis. Like, am I X-Men? I don't know. Yeah. When do the cool powers kick in? Yeah. yeah. But now I know this is cold urticaria. So what can you do to prevent it? It is just a very intense allergic reaction. Wow. Right. So like your, your, your cells have histamines. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, when, when this is triggered, the histamine kind of bursts out of its cells. So yeah. could you, like, like would an antihistamine, I mean, just like any other kind of histamine attack, help or, you know? Yeah, but no one yeah. gave me any back ah. then. Right. I mean, I can drink cold water. Uh, some people are so allergic that, that, you know, having ice cubes on their skin would trigger this. Or drinking wow. cold water would trigger some sort of allergic reaction. I mean, that's super, super extreme. Wow. Case. If you ever uh, experience this, don't feel alone. I'm there with you. You know, we're humans. A lot of things are on spectrums. My wife, you know, this hasn't happened in a while, but it used to be a recurring thing where every winter, like her legs would just get really itchy and and like, oh, like yeah. persistently. And, you know, like Me we too. would even call it the the winter itchies. And it was just like almost some years were oh. worse than others. But it, it there's sometimes Dry when skin. it was almost hive hive like. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if yeah. it's on the same continuum. Cold urticaria. It's weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Game of Thrones character. I know. <laughs> <laughs> sir, sir, S-E-R. <laughs> yeah. And I'll end on this. This is a, a, one of those facts early in the show. This is a fact I think about all the time. I think it was in Dana's segment. We had a camping episode. And she mm-hmm. talked about how you have to go, when you're camping, you have to go pee before you go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. For Otherwise, sure. you just have pee in your body that your body's wasting energy yep. trying to keep, keep warm, warm and keep That's right. hot. Oh. Yep. 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 Every time I wake up in the middle of the night to go pee, I think about that. <laughs> You're like, I'm gonna come back to bed and be a little be a little bit warmer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. A lot of stuff happened on this episode. Yeah, what a what a trip this episode. Yeah. Really Ooh. covering the corners. That's our show. Thank you all for joining me and thank you listeners for listening in. Hope you learned stuff about root beer, about tallest snow people, <laughs> about soup, and about cold hives. You can find us on all major podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like Reach, the space podcast for kids, The Ancient World, and IGN Movies. And we'll see you next week. Bye. all trivia nerds Brittany here and i host the family road trip trivia podcast with my best friend meredith is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest (laughs) we've got the cure three rounds of awesome trivia every week harry potter disney science sports you name it no more silent car troubles the family road trip trivia podcast connect laugh and learn with your kids big and small New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts, search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast.